Welcome back, everyone, to the M&A Healthcare Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Thomas, and this podcast is focused on identifying transactional truths for those who care. Now, what does that mean, transactional truths for those who care? One of the goals of this podcast, and really our company uh, in general, is to be an educational resource to the M&A and the healthcare community. So for those of you listening that have no knowledge of what goes into an M&A transaction, or if you've been through 10 or 15 transactions, this podcast is meant to be a resource to you to understand not only current market trends with updates as recent as within the last month, but really a general understanding of the ins and outs of a daily process uh, when it comes to due diligence, when it comes to marketing a company, when it comes to valuing that company. And of course, we're gonna be bringing in guests from the buy side as well to understand investment criteria, how they're assessing certain opportunities that they're looking at, and really looking at uh, market trends across the board. So uh, for those that are new to the podcast, welcome. We're, we're grateful to have you here. For those that are returning, thanks for coming back. I should also note that I'm joined by a co-host today who's also one of my co-founders here at M&A Healthcare Advisors, Mike Moran. He'll be on screen here in a minute. But I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce you to our guest. His name is Haran Narula. He's the founder and managing partner of Tigan Peak Capital, which is a private equity firm focused on investing in market-leading companies across North America. Haran received his BS in business with honors from Indiana University, where he was also part of the business honors program there. Haran, thanks for joining us. We're so grateful to have you here for a, a good conversation. Um, before we pass it over to you, though, Mike, you're going to elaborate a bit on the context of the relationship here with Haran. Thank you, Mark. And and look, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree that the dynamic and relationships formed with those organizations that look to acquire uh, the companies that we represent and bring to market is, is complex. No, no question about it. And I say that because we represent sellers, right? We, our clients are people who own healthcare companies and uh, a big part of our job is to drive valuation, you know, and essentially get those on the buy side to pay a premium for the companies that we represent. And look, along the way, and I've been doing this now close to 10 years, you do begin to form unique, uh, I would say even special relationships. And not only that, you know, I, I do think each of our clients and, you know, I've had the pleasure of working three deals, or, or I've had the pleasure of working three successful transactions, and I'll say significant transactions with Haran in particular. And not only that, but more importantly, I would tell you that you know, our clients at the time and, and probably still today would hold Tigon Peak and Haran in high regard because of meeting those milestones that I just referenced through the sale process. So I think this conversation is going to be very interesting, you know, especially with, with what's going on in the equity markets. You have inflation, you have labor shortages, but to really understand how a private equity group is looking at acquisitions in terms of the economic conditions we're seeing today is certainly one that I think a lot of our viewers will have interest in as they contemplate whether or not now is the right time of going to market. So with that, Haran, I thank you and I'll defer to you. Yep, absolutely, my pleasure. So Haran, just a few basic questions to start us off. Can you share a bit about your background? What led you to form Tigan Peak Capital as well as some of your investment criteria that you're utilizing to assess? Sure, so um, 
you know, my background is, I would say, somewhat conventional for uh, people in private equity. Um, you know, after college, I joined um, a large investment bank, spent two years there, then joined a, a different private equity firm and then spent another two years there uh, before leaving to join a, a different private equity firm called Blue Wolf Capital, spent about 10 years there. And, uh, um, you know, really, when I joined, I was the first employee and um, I was working with the two founders um, and that was it. And over the over the course of 10 years, you know, we built a we built a business and I became a partner of the firm. And um, at the end of the day, decided it was time to move on and, and do my own thing. So I left and started up Tiger Peak. And um, we basically focus on three different verticals. Uh, one is healthcare. The second is niche manufacturing, and the third is business services. But if you look at our website, we you know we, we have three current platform companies, and uh, two of those are uh, healthcare businesses. So that's that's us in a nutshell, and we are a uh, you know today we're a four person team. Great. Well, well, thanks for joining us again, Haran. Um, I just want to run through a few questions with you, looking to capture a bit of your investor's perspective on how you're approaching the market and, and assessing those opportunities. So to begin, what are the most important attributes that you assess when you're pursuing an acquisition opportunity? So uh, I would say number one, industry, right? And, and that is going to be relevant for basically each each sub vertical within the healthcare universe, right? So we could be looking at urgent care, we could, could be looking at home health, we could be looking at personal care, um, we could be looking at, um, you know, medical practices, whatever it is. It's, I, I think it's critical to understand what's going on in that specific vertical, um, meaning the risks, the and the opportunities which are inherent there and inherent in the company's market. So uh, that's probably number one. Number two is, you know, the, the quality of the asset itself. Um, you know, how big is it? Uh, what kind of market share? Um, stuff like that. Um, and then I think number three is, you know, the, uh, the quality of the management team. So if we're dealing with uh, an experienced management team, that, that's, a, that's a big plus. If we're dealing with a, um, a less experienced management team or a team that wants to exit, that's, you know, that's a different consideration. For us, it frankly doesn't matter in terms of what the management team is looking for, um, in terms of uh, whether, you know, if they want to exit, because we are completely comfortable with that. Okay, so one quick question about that first point you made, Haran. Are you doing preliminary research before entering into a new segment, or are you letting acquisition opportunities in healthcare, of course, come before you, and then you're doing the back-end research to better understand the market? It's both. It's both. You know, there, there are some sectors where we've done quite a lot of work, and we understand what's going on in, in those specific segments. And, um, and in some other segments, we've done less work. And so we do, uh, we do, we do a fair amount of work, you know, after. Haran, if I may, and just so our listeners are aware, you do acquire 
within other industries outside of healthcare. But I am interested to know how active you are in healthcare versus the other industries you are acquisitive within. Well, um, I, I, I would say our number one target industry today is healthcare. We do look at other non-healthcare businesses, um, but you know, candidly, um, we have to have a lot of conviction in them to move forward. Haran, in your assessment of an opportunity, you mentioned management teams. And I wanted to ask, with a lot of changes in the labor market, especially in the last few months, has that led you to actually increase the amount of scrutiny you're applying when you're assessing management teams? Or have you largely been consistent with that scrutiny? Uh, I think that's a great question, Mark. And from our perspective, we have had to work harder to find new managers to come in and run businesses. And uh, in some cases, um, you know, we've had to make changes. Uh, but in all cases, we've had to pay more um, than we would have, you know, three years ago, four years ago. Um, but, you know, that is just the nature of the market. Um, is there is there labor available? You know, are people available? Yes, there are. But I think you have to you have to provide them with a compelling reason to come work for you, and um, and you know that would entail compensation, obviously. But it would also entail the you know how exciting the project is, right? And I think we can discuss um, our experience with you guys um, and illustrate you know how these uh, assignments that we that we come up with or these investments that we make. Um, are actually pretty darn compelling. Haran, so just touching on your point about labor um, and uh, leadership teams or management teams of the companies you look to acquire. And look, I, I can tell you specifically in the last 18 to 24 months, you know, we've seen a lot more scrutiny on our clients as the CEO or COO of the companies we're representing. Um, you know, also the management or leadership teams that are a part of these businesses have come under much more scrutiny. And, and certainly in a way, acquisitions to some have become a de facto means of recruiting. So I'm, I'm wondering a couple of things. The first is if you look at acquisitions as a mean to recruit new talent. I mean, is that in your thought process as you're going through diligence with these companies? And then secondly, the importance of management or leadership in an organization you're pursuing. I mean, will that entice you perhaps to even get into a new market? Yeah, so I guess what, what I would say is um, that we, we don't tend to view things that way. And um, I think, you know, specifically because, uh, you know, we're, we're making like multi-million dollar investments. And um, that seems like a very high cost uh, to bring in, you know, one or two or a handful of people. So we, we, we just don't view things that way. Um, you know, there have to be other attributes of the company that, that come along with it, you know, whether it could be, you know, geographic diversification, it could be uh, enabling us to get into a new market or a new line of business. Um, so it, it ha there has to be more um, to really get us to step up to the plate. 
Does that does that answer your question, Mike? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It definitely answers my uh, my question. Much appreciated. So, Haran, we're talking about the shift in the market, at least through the lens of staffing or management teams. And it's pretty clear it's not 2021 anymore. There's a lot of economic implications pointing towards that. Um, the market's down fairly substantially. Interest rates are up and continuing to climb. So as a firm that targets healthcare companies, what effect does this have on your acquisition strategy? Uh, another great question. So, um, you know, look, uh, the stock market's down about 20% so far this year. Um, I think the prognosis from people who are way smarter than me is there's some some additional room for the stock market to, uh, to you know, to, to decline. Um, I think today, or let's just say by end of the year, interest rates, uh, fed, federal interest rates will have gone up from zero to you know four and a half percent. So um, so you know the Fed is the Fed is very very focused on decelerating the economy, um, and um, and I think they're doing a good job of 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 having that happen. So um, what what does all this translate into? Um, I think it translates into is uh, a recession. Um, you know, I think some people handicapped that at 60%, some people handicapped it at 98%. Um, I think it's gonna happen. Um, and um, I think unfortunately the effects are manifold. So, you know, we have to think about the effect of a recession on state budgets, right? each individual state we have to think about the effect on uh, the feds. Um, and then we obviously have to think about, you know, the effect on uh, commercial insurers. So um, uh, how is this all going to play out? I, I, I don't know, right? But, but I do think that any buyer will have to walk into any situation understanding how this is going to affect the, the peers, right? Because if the peers aren't going to pay, or have a, have a challenge, or start cutting reimbursement rates and whatever else, then uh, then I think the, you know the it's it's going to become much much tougher. So you're you're talking about, and we're you know certainly experiencing these massive uh, adversarial effects in the economy. Yet it sounds like you're still out there acquiring, and you know I can tell you from experience, even as recent as today, that deals and companies we have in market right now are still highly active. Um, you know, I can say as well, it's it's our position that for the right assets and great healthcare companies, there will always be a market. And back to my original point, you know, despite all that's happening, it seems like you, it seems like you're still very highly acquisitive. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, but, but I think, you know, um, Yes, we are acquisitive. Yes, um, we are, you know, canvassing the healthcare market. Um, I think we're walking into things with um, all the different points I laid out at the front of our minds, right? Because at the end of the day, um, that, that is part of our job. It's to, you know, is to preserve capital for our investors 
And then secondly, it's also to um, drive returns for them. So uh, the strategy we, the strategies we employ, um, you know, th those have shifted slightly. Um, I think our overall observation of what's happening in the market is, you know, yes, there's activity, but it's not like the activity of 2021, as you pointed out, right, where uh, a, uh, a business would receive 10 or 20 different offers. Now it's maybe, you know, five or seven, maybe. Um, and, you know, we also think um, uh, there, there's probably going to be some um, potential downside risk on that for the reason uh, that, you know, interest rates are going up um, and market sentiment is, you know, on the bubble. Have these factors driven you to pursue healthcare more adamantly than the other two categories you mentioned that your firm focuses on? Yes and no. We were always pretty um, focused on healthcare. Um, I would say for non-healthcare investments, we, you know, we are looking at those with uh, an even keener eye towards potential recession risk. And what metrics are you using to measure those potential risks? Sure, sure. Look, it, it, a lot of it depends on the market, right? So, um, and, and this is something uh, that we see uh, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare, right? So it could be a business that, um, that uh, distributes industrial products. And uh, over the past two years, you know, over the past two years, um, their EBITDA has gone up by four or 500%, maybe more. Why? Supply chain issues, we think, right? So uh, is, is the business going to normalize at, at you know, 400, 400 to 500% of what it used to do pre-pandemic? Uh, probably not, I think, right? But um, so it's it's stuff like that, you know, even in healthcare, like in urgent cares, I think what we've seen is because of the pandemic, revenues have, you know, revenues have spiked, right? And now that the pandemic is over, um, the revenues are starting to, uh, starting to decelerate. So uh, I, I think we're just very, very cognizant of uh, what's going on, uh, how to look at these businesses, and you know, we price them accordingly. So the idea of assessing a pre-COVID company compared to its current state is actually very important to you because you can not only track its growth or I guess technically its decline, but you can also determine where it's going to level out. Correct, correct. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, you know, look, all of us are going to be wrong based on what we think is going to happen, right? We just are. But I think we can use that information to make some educated guesses. So interesting about urgent care, um, you know, and it's not necessarily a segment in healthcare that we focus on, but I'm wondering if you are still seeing these, you know, in quote, COVID spikes to revenue, you know, in the urgent care setting or other settings for um, vaccines, for example, or, yes. or COVID testing, because I can tell you from the segments that we do focus in, um, you know, the, the, the COVID conversation, you know, has certainly dwindled in comparison to where it was, you know, obviously on the onset of, of 2020 and then even into 2000, 
21. So what are some of your thoughts there? Um, you know, so, um, um, I, I think, well, urgent care is for sure, right? I think that's a, that's a pretty well-known phenomenon. Uh, there are a few other subsectors where, you know, we, where you've seen COVID spikes. There are other subsectors where we have seen and experienced um, COVID-related declines. You know, for example, like two years ago, we uh, were under a letter of intent to acquire um, um, a couple of multi-specialty uh, physicians practices in New York City. And uh, lo and behold, COVID comes around, all medical practices shut the door, and this company went from you know X in revenue to zero, right? So um, and then so it was a, it was a very very traumatic time for them, um, and uh, you know ultimately we uh, we could not get there. What are the biggest pain points you face when you're looking at companies to acquire? Um, look, I think the the probably the biggest the biggest challenge is expectations and value between sellers and buyers um you know has that changed much this year um maybe um and so um you know, um, but I think we we do a pretty good job of trying to find a path in the middle to help bridge the gap between what the buyer is looking for and what the seller is looking for. So I think we I think we actually do a pretty good job of uh, of, of of wading through that. So I think that's actually a really good point and 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 topic to discuss. But you know, I want to tie it into the intermediaries role in all this. And Haran, I think you'd agree, right? Like a big part of what folks in our position and others alike should be doing is really educating. And I say this word responsibly on what potential valuation of the company they're representing could be in the market, right? And ensuring that that expectation is in line with what the seller needs to retire or transition or whatever the case may be because the reality is this is a very intense, it can be uh, often difficult, it can be often challenging uh, and lengthy. And, and I'm referring to the sale process and why go through and why go through the motions if when in six to eight months time, you have the understanding that the valuation or expectation of valuation that the client or seller may have is completely out of whack with what the market is saying so and look I, I think you'd agree that a big part of what the intermediate should be doing is having these responsible conversations on valuation with their clients um, you know baked in data baked in experience and not just you know manifesting some kind of evaluation pulled out of the air yep we completely agree we completely agree so what advice would you give to a seller who's preparing to enter the market knowing that we're talking about the discrepancy in value between buyer and seller, what, what do you recommend? Uh, yeah, um, I think what I, I, I would recommend is, you know, number one, be realistic, right? Um, if you have a middle market company doing a million or two million or three million of EBITDA, um, I, I think it, it, it um, you should, you know, spend a bit of time looking in the mirror and understanding what kind of business you have 
pluses, the minuses, and what's going on in the overall market. It could be that you're in a market that's very hot and where, yeah, you know, maybe a business with a million or three million in EBITDA may trade, it may trade for 10 times. I'm not saying that that's not happening. Um, it could also be that you could be in a, a subsector where things are trading for four times or five times, right? And so I think, um, I think you, sh you know, people just need to be realistic. Um, and, you know, to, to Mike's point, because that will save everyone months upon months upon months of uh, heartache and angst. Um, secondly, um, you know, I, uh, I think it, um, it also would benefit everyone to understand um, how the regulators and the payers are thinking about their business. And that's very important, obviously, in healthcare. So uh, I, I would encourage everyone to think about that because you know these these are payers who have disproportional impact on a business. Haran, obviously, right? Our experience together has been you know selling to you um, predominantly Medicaid home care agencies, and I'm wondering, given the economic conditions today, inflation labor shortages, if the Medicaid home care segment is still of interest to you, and if anything is happening with payers specifically to shift that interest? Not, not really. I mean, you know, Mike, if you look at our portfolio, we, we today we have two different businesses, um, you know, under our belts, uh, two different healthcare businesses, I should say. The first is actually a pretty unique workers comp business. And that business is reimbursed directly by the federal government out of a separate side pocket of money. The second business we have is a, is a Medicaid business um, in Texas. And so, uh, and you know, candidly today, we're, we're under letter of intent to acquire uh, some physician practices in the South where 70% of the reimbursement is coming from commercial insurers. So we're, we're pretty open to businesses across the healthcare landscape um, and not so much focus on, you know, 100% medic Medicaid. Um, so, you know, I, I would say long way of saying we, we like different healthcare businesses. We like, um, we're comfortable with the, the payers, but obviously, you know, obviously um, as you get out of the Medicare universe, you have to do a lot more diligence on the Medicaid payer, which is state by state payer, right? To understand the liquidity profile of the state, um, the ability to continue to pay, um, assuming there's a recession and, and so on and so forth. So that, that's a lot of work that has to be done to really get comfortable with, you know, what's going on with, uh, with the payers. Haran, just as a, a final question for the sellers that are watching this, how many acquisition opportunities are you pursuing at one time? And by pursuing, I mean formally assessing and intending to submit an LOI on. Um, so, you know, today under the physician practice uh, umbrella, we have three. And, um, you know, with the, with the idea of merging them all together, 
Um, we are looking at a couple of other platforms, um, and we'll see if those um, if if we get those. Um, and um, you know, so so I think that, that one of the key things for us, however, is the overall size of the platform we want to create, right? And there's the size of the platform we want to create <clears throat> initially and then what we want to create down the line. So initially, we look to create at least, you know, a, a business with at least three to five million of EBITDA. And for the long term, we're, we're completely open. Could be 10, could be 20, could be 50, whatever. Um, and, you know, I think the, the transaction that we um, did with you guys in uh, uh, 2021, is very illustrative of that, right? So in 21, we bought an initial business, which was doing about 2 million of, of EBITDA. Um, and this happened in March. Um, we had another, another, bus another business lined up, which we closed in April of 21. That got us closer to, you know, actually closer to four and a half. And then um, in June of 2021, we closed on uh, the, the third element of the, the platform. And uh, that got us closer to seven or eight. So, um, you know, so, so we're happy to, you know, to, to put, put in the work, get, to get the business to uh, as much an EBITDA as possible. We're happy to take on the integration risk uh, we're happy to facilitate people transitioning out of the businesses. Um, so we're, you know, we're happy to put in all that legwork. Um, but the bare minimum we need is somewhere between three to five. Right, and and I would just say in closing, look, it's it's certainly less common where an organization you're connected with acquires multiple companies, let alone three, two of which were almost done simultaneously. And, and look, I think that's a testament to, again, your integrity, your tenacity to get deals done, um, you know, your willingness to stick to your word and, and make the client feel like they're passing on their legacy to the right organization. So I thank you for that. You know, I thank you for the business relationship. You know, I thank you for our continued relationship and look forward to, you know, sharing more deals as they come across our desk. Yeah, of course, of course. Haran, uh, thank you for joining us today. This was a great conversation. I'm sure our, our network will really enjoy what you shared. And hopefully we can find something to work on in the near future from an acquisition standpoint. That sounds great. Thank you, sir. That sounds great. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, you can find Haran at his website. Haran, would you actually mind plugging your website right now? Sure. It's yeah. It's uh, www.tigon, T-S-N-T-O-M, Y-G-O-N, peak capital.com. Great. And for content similar to this or previous episodes, you can visit us at www.mahealthcareadvisors.com. You'll also find our episodes on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. But for other content similar to this, but focused on different aspects of market assessment, seller experience, buyer investment criteria, how to assess an intermediary, the list goes on. You can find a lot of that on our website. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. Feel free to check us out on those platforms. And we look forward to sharing more content with you in the coming weeks. Thanks. Thanks.